0: Drugs policy.
1: No, I love drugs. love drugs. Drugs, I love are, drugs. drugs are good. Who doesn't like drugs? No, exactly. Drugs are always good. Yeah. It's Friday, January the 31st. Molly, how's it? Still January?
0: It's still January. It's it's been January
1: for 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 months. For like seven years. Yeah, it really has. It's I don't I don't know. I just
0: I want twenty twenty to be cancelled. Can we just skip forward to twenty twenty one? I think we
1: should. I'd be up for that. Totally. Except except that means we'd actually have to get um, Brexit done. Yeah, and actually done, not just transition period done. done. Yeah, probably. done. This is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch news contributing editor and illegal alien in waiting, and with me today is my fellow Dutch news contributing editor and non-delusional person Molly Quell.
0: Am I not delusional?
1: Well, you said everyone else is delusional. Everyone else is calling other people delusional. Yeah, so everyone was delusional. calling Brexit delusional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's you fine. you were apparently the only non-delusional. I person did not use the, the word in delusional the
0: in my like twenty five hundred word yeah, article. exactly. About Which is yes. a miracle. It's a, a miracle. miracle. It, was, it was it was it, it took some work to be yeah, honest. It's,
1: it's like me uh, trying to do the discussion without using the word election. I had a, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Paul? Our other regular co-host, Paul Peters, can't be with us today. He's been given the job of manually changing all the speed limit signs on the Belgian border. Which is a punishment for making inappropriate World War II jokes on Twitter.
0: I mean, it was an inappropriate joke, <laughs> but it was also so funny. It was quite funny. It was yeah. so funny. Yeah. So, it's Brexit day. Yes. They're going to get Brexit done today. The, yeah,
1: they're going to get Brexit done. Then Midnight, our time, it'll 11. It'll be over. We'll never uh-huh. mention it again. No, yeah, it'll we'll never fine. talk about it again. It'll, it'll be sorted. Yeah. Um, it won't be a disaster at all. No. Seemingly.
0: <laughs> uh, I spent all week writing about Brexit, and yeah. I was very... I'm very grumpy about this.
1: Um... <laughs> And you're not even having to go through it. I don't, I'm
0: not even emotionally invested in Brexit. (laughs) And I feel very, I actually felt very sad yesterday. Like, I feel nothing today because I'm hungover. So I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) I have no feelings. Are you
1: hungover because you were mourning Brexit yesterday?
0: I, no, it's because I got drunk with a regular listener of this podcast. um, And it's all her fault. And (laughs) I blame this headache on her. Okay. I don't know. I was really sad yesterday. Like this, I was putting up this story on Dutch News about the uh, Ode to Joy being the number one song in the UK. Well, that is
1: sad because it's Andre Rio. Yeah. Let's move on.
0: And because Ode to Joy, of course, is the European anthem yeah. and it's just like really depressing. Like yeah. I was just very sad at like democracy and existence and like I was just in a bummer mood yesterday, basically, because yeah.
1: of this. It, it wasn't really a joy, joyful day. It, was, it is it for the Breaks of Tears, the they're going to throw
0: a big ass party tonight.
1: Yeah, they're going to be, they're a hoop. they've got what they wanted and yeah. now, yeah, this is the high point for them yeah. after today. Who knows what's going to happen? Because no happen. one's actually made any plans whatsoever. No, so. they've
0: made they've made very little plans. This yeah. is uh, as I discovered as I was researching this, the story that I was working on this week. There's very little uh, concrete planning. They're supposed to be figuring that out during this transition period, yeah. which ends in eleven months, which can be extended. Um, but it probably, looks like it won't be. Yeah, yeah, at this point, it doesn't. Although. Part of the problem with this is, I guess, they have to ask for an extension somewhere in the middle of the summer. Yes. But they're not even starting negotiations for this until March. So they basically have to come in the door and know that they're going to need an extension. So that's yeah. a problem.
1: Yeah, they have to ask for an extension, I think, by July. Yeah. There's a deadline. Um, but yeah, it's uh, they've got about eight months to get through it, including two months in when the whole of Europe takes, uh, takes, away, takes off for the summer. Right. And Christmas. Slight and problem. They've got about two weeks, basically, to get it I th- all done.
0: I think the distillation of how much of a clusterfuck Brexit is came down to. So I was writing an article this week about the impact of Brexit on the European Court of Justice. And the European Court of Justice, there's two British justices who will lose their jobs after today. That makes sense. Yeah. There's no longer a re- need to represent the UK. They also have what they call an advocate general, who's like an advisory person to the, to the Court of Justice. And people initially were telling me that she was also going to lose her job. And then, of course, I contacted the court of justice to confirm all this stuff. And the court of justice said, oh, no, 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 she's not losing her job. And then I went back and forth with all these, like, experts where everyone, nobody could agree whether or not she was going to, in fact, lose her job. And I was like, I mean, someone really needs to tell this poor woman, like, whether or not security (laughs) is going to turn up at five o'clock today and be like, ma'am, you need to, like, pack your things and go. This is a small and tiny, like, portion of Brexit, but I think is very demonstrative of the larger problems with Brexit yes. which is basically no one has any idea what's no going on no one has on. any answers
1: to any questions yeah. and i think the only answer is to direct all inquiries to Brexit Muppet. Yeah, we uh, should investigate Today's papers. best news is that Brexit Muppet is going to stay uh, for until the end of the year. That's he's, true. He's been given a contract extension. This is the silver lining. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So well on Steph Block.
0: Yes, so we're looking forward to more uh, more Brexit <laughs> Muppet action. <laughs> right. We have some op even though we Paul do. is not here. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read the
1: op I'll read the op oh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this week's op of the week comes from Rotterdam, where the police rushed to Korte Hochstraat on Monday afternoon when a cyclist had reported he'd found a strange object on the side of the road. Road, which he suspected was a hand grenade You
0: saw this on twitter it's and great. i just laughed for like
1: <laughs> i think five minutes basically <laughs> <laughs> the police arrived shortly after the call and immediately closed off the street to investigate the device but they quickly concluded it was not a hand grenade but a discarded black bicycle bell
0: was this person do we know the answer to this question whether or not the person who discovered it was dutch or not
1: no, I haven't uh, okay. heard that. No, um, yeah, but it's literally one of those um, bells you clip, like you get from the hammer, and you yeah. clip onto your handlebars, yeah. and uh, yeah, that everyone, just has the way. And everyone has everyone seen and everyone knows what it road. looks like. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't the first time an innocent object was mistaken for an explosive. A week ago, the beach in Zandfort was closed off because of a hand grenade, but that turned out to be a stress ball so that was a very stressful stress <laughs> <laughs> it caused there's a lot of stress be, I was going to say there's some good jokes on that Yeah. yeah. Uh, the police have re- um, police of course do have uh, reason to take reports of hand grenades seriously because they are being found in Dutch streets on a weekly basis particularly in Amsterdam and here in Delft
0: why are there hand grenades like being found in places
1: uh, because uh, gangsters leave them outside each other's premises as a kind of uh, like, they, a are, threat is it easier to get a, it threat. must be
0: easier to get hand grenades and guns then right because like, yeah. I come from America where mm. I can't remember a story of anyone leaving a hand grenade on the street yeah. and we are a well armed, overly they, armed society. They
1: probably sell them in blocker these That's days. That's probably yeah. true t- On Tuesday, somebody in a forest near Ada found a purse full of hand grenades <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I
0: I need to be keeping better things in my purse apparently
1: Yeah so yeah, so, so so it wasn't a hand grenade, it was a bicycle bell, but you know, it's good that um, um yeah who did iemand had a bell heeft Yeah. Um, lots of other jokes like that were uh, on Twitter.
0: So on Monday when this news came out, uh, I was uh, having coffee with a friend of mine who lives on the Korte Hochstraat. And so we were like, I was like sort of flipping through Twitter and was like, oh, this is funny. And then she was like, wait, that's my street. And so then we were like looking this up, of course. And her street was blocked off because they thought it was a hand grenade <laughs> and they had turned out that they had evacuated, of course, like yes. there, or it had been st- starting the process, I think, of yeah. evacuating all of the apartment buildings there. Yeah, going around knocking yeah. on doors.
1: Possibly even better than this was um, the, the story in the UK where somebody had reported a dead leopard on on the road. And when the police went to investigate, it was actually a discarded dressing gown in the, with a leopard print <laughs> that had been disc- the, the, where the cord had just been sort of a, looked like it was a tail.
0: I guess, and you know, I guess you can see shape that. Of a leopard. I mean, I think the takeaway from this is it's better to err on the side of um, calling the police yeah. when you think that there's a hand grenade on the ground, um, because if you don't call and there's an actual hand grenade yeah. like someone's going to get blown up yeah or, it's, be- it's better if you
1: think it's a hand grenade and it's actually a bicycle bell than the other way around yeah exactly we can agree on that yeah, yeah. This week, the Prime Minister apologised to Holocaust survivors. Two troubleshooters were appointed to sort out the tax office, which has had to apologise for the child benefit scandal. And in really shocking news, it turns out the National Rail Service has nothing to apologise for. In our discussion, we'll ask why the coalition parties are increasingly going their own way on drugs policy. Does this
0: have something to do with an election, Gordon?
1: No comment. When a group of countrymen were set aside, excluded, and dehumanized under a murderous regime, we failed. With those words, Prime Minister Mark Rutte apologized publicly for the first time for the Dutch government's failure to protect its Jewish citizens from the Holocaust. Rutte gave his apology on Sunday in a speech at the Neudmier Auschwitz Memorial in Amsterdam's Wertheim Park. It was part of a ceremony to mark the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz death, death camp. Around 102,000 Jews, Sinti and Roma people died after being transported to the camps, while just 35,000 survived the war in the Netherlands. Rutter said Dutch officials had been too passive towards the occupying Nazi regime and too willing to carry out its orders quote at a time when the last survivors are still among us i apologize today on behalf of the government for what the government did back then he said
0: uh, i have a question is this um is this the first time the government has apologized or is it the first time mark Rutte has apologized it's the first
1: formal apology by the government oh, okay. he apologized on behalf of the government oh, okay. yeah
0: i wasn't uh, i wasn't sure yeah um did people sort of see this
1: coming um, I think it's come as a bit of a surprise by all accounts. somebody has been growing momentum and increasing calls for the government to do this. Um the Pei Fei Fei uh was pushing a glitter- good to issue an apology back in 2012, when of course uh, Geert Wilders party was propping up Rutte's first cabinet, but he declined back then. It seems to have gained traction this time uh, after Geertian Seicher, the leader of the Christian Union, went on a trip to Ukraine and he visited the scene of a massacre of Jews by German soldiers and spoke to Rutter on his return. Um, and he suggested there that perhaps the 75th anniversary of Auschwitz being liberated was the right moment um, to make the formal apologies. Uh, after that, during January, there were kind of very low-key discussions uh, in cabinet meetings. Uh, Rutter just raised it as any other business at the end of the meeting and that led to civil servants were then asked to go away and uh, come up with a suitable wording which Ritter then delivered uh, at the memorial but uh, I think everybody cabinet ministers and um, the survivors groups who were represented at the ceremony all said they, that they hadn't been briefed in advance.
0: Yeah. yeah. And how did uh, how did these survivors groups, these victims representatives, how did they feel about this?
1: I think generally they were positive. Obviously there is a criticism that it's taken an awful long time uh, for the Dutch government to fair. say this which I think is fair, fair criticism. Other countries like France and Belgium have acknowledged their mistakes uh, some time ago but then there's a general feeling that it's always better late than never and it's particularly important that he did it while there were still survivors um, yeah, before the last survivors had died Jack who chairman of the Dutch Auschwitz committee who was at the ceremony said every year is too late but we have to view it positively I for one embraced him and thanked him uh, the director of the National Holocaust Museum Emile Schaever said Ritter's apologies were part of an ever-growing recognition by governments that it has still not been put right
0: yeah I think it's uh, it's good I guess to see this kind of movement in the wake of you know these sort of far right kind of Holocaust denialists parties that are sort of coming up and Eastern Europe Eastern Europe, and, and Germany in particular. So
1: Yeah, it's, it's still important I think uh, that, that it's taken seriously and that governments uh, yeah, don't just simply say it was all a long time ago, let's yeah. move on that yeah. Uh, yeah, we acknowledge the, acknowledge the atrocities of, yeah. of the Holocaust. And Ritter by all accounts was, was really quite uh, moved at the ceremony, yeah. you know, that's what people who were there said. So I think it was, it was, it was genuine, he spoke from the heart he said, which is uh, yeah, something you don't always see from Ritter. No, that's true, it's yeah. not sort of the thing so, that you kind
0: of associate with him.
1: Yeah, so I think it was really personally significant to him as well.
0: Three people in the Netherlands have so far been tested for coronavirus, but all three were false alarms, the health ministry has confirmed. Doctors are required by law to alert authorities if they suspect that someone may have the disease, send those uh, throat swaps to the Public Health Institute, (RIVM) for emergency testing. All three people in question had recently been in the Chinese province of Hubei, which is where the epicenter of Wuhan is situated. The Dutch government is considering evacuating 20 or so Dutch nationals who live in Wuhan in China. A flight bringing French nationals home arrived yesterday. More flights are being arranged by the EU.
1: Yeah, and apparently now the Dutch government has said it will pay the bill yeah. for replacing uh, people because yeah. they re- initially it said that they would have to pay, know, for pay, themselves. pay their own evacuation. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. <laughs> As ever with the, with the Dutch, it always comes down to a up money. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep
0: your bonnets guys.
1: Yeah. Uh, so what is the coronavirus?
0: It is similar to pneumonia. It's uh, It was originated in bats. The first you own human transmission was in the Chinese city of Wuhan, in the Hubei province, like I said. That's a city of 11 million people in central China. It's an, also an important transportation hub, which of course, is only making people more sort of nervous about this outbreak, and then a lot of ships and stuff kind of going through there. Uh, symptoms include high fever and respiratory issues. It's in the same family as SARS, which caused its own outbreak a few years ago. You might remember that. Mm. So far, 213 people have died, and an estimated 3,000 have believed to have been infected, mostly in the area of China where it originated, um, but there have also been cases recorded in Thailand, Japan, and Germany. I will note that we are, of course, recording this podcast on Friday morning, so it's possible that those numbers will change, even by the time that podcast comes out for afternoon. And
1: what is the Netherlands doing uh, to prepare for possible cases here?
0: According to Jeroen van Dijssel, that's the director of the Infectious Disease Unit at RIVM, the Netherlands is well prepared to cope. Doctors are already required by law to alert authorities if they suspect that someone has the disease. Dutch hospitals are currently carrying out an inventory of how many beds they have in isolation units if there's an outbreak in the Netherlands. So far, 200 extra beds have already been added. The Foreign Ministry has, of course, updated its travel advice for China urging people to avoid the region and to followed the very strict instructions of the authorities there to prevent panic and, and sort of spread of the disease Von Dysel says there's no reason to panic he says thanks to earlier outbreaks such as the mexican flu we have protocols to prevent these diseases from spreading and if the virus does pop up here it will probably be confined to a handful of cases that's in an interview that he gave to the telegraph this week right. i will note that if you think you have symptoms or if you've traveled to this area recently please contact your doctor
1: Nearly 4,000 primary schools and 180 secondary schools have been closed for two days this week as part of the ongoing dispute over teachers' pay. Teachers at around 90% of the country's schools are taking part in the strike, which is the fourth since the campaign organised by PEO in AXI began. The teachers want the government to give primary school teachers a pay rise and take steps to reduce the pressure of work, as well as doing more to tackle the nationwide shortage of qualified teachers. But Education Minister Ari Slob has said this week that no new money is going to be made available during the Cabinet's current term. The government allocated next to 460 million to schools at the end of last year, although only 363 million of that is new money. Slob said the Cabinet has raised primary teachers' salaries and is encouraging people in other professions to switch to teaching, but the demand for more structural money will have to be dealt with by the next cabinet.
0: Well, that sounds like kicking the can down the road. It is
1: really kicking the can down the road.
0: As a person who has two children, um, one of whom is... One of whom is
1: now in your house. One of whom yes. is sitting downstairs because <laughs> they're not... Your, yeah, and using up all your Wi-Fi. S- yeah, yes.
0: exactly. The Wi-Fi has been quite slow, and I suspect because he is a teenage boy, also yeah. like eating all of the snacks in the fridge. Yeah. Um. How, how do you feel about these teachers being on strike?
1: Well, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, it means that the last two days I've had some wor- work with the children in the house is not ideal, but I kind of... I mean, I don't think it's been that disruptive so far. Far, yeah. to be honest, this has the, been the longest strike so far. It's been two days. I think they have a case. I think primary school teachers are they're, underpaid. They're grossly underpaid. We underpay underpaid. teachers as yeah. a society. We, we generally should pay them more money and undervalue teachers. Period. End of and I discussion. Think so. And they're being asked to take on more and more work the whole yeah. time. There's a huge load of administ- administrative work. When you have children coming into school, into the education system for the first time, that's often where things like you know um, autism and uh, various kinds of um, learning difficulties are picked up for the first time, yeah. and the school has to. Deal with that. It's a huge responsibility. and, well, I, think it's under and I mean, also
0: things like, you know, are these kids being neglected or missed, uh, abused that or whatever well, yes. at home? They're, they're yeah. also responsible for like this kinds of stuff. Yeah. No. I, anybody, I honestly, if anyone is listening to this podcast and thinks, oh, you know, like it's fine or whatever, I think you should go... Volunteer to teach all day in a classroom with a bunch of six year olds and mm. at the end of the day when you you know are then knocking back a bottle of vodka because you 're exhausted and miserable, you know realize that these people are not being paid the amount of money that they should be paid for the work that they're doing, and that like it's not great to have a society where you constantly have teachers burning out and taking off and quitting yeah. the profession, which is exactly what's happening that's, because they're yeah. underpaid of
1: course that's the other thing there's this big shortage of teachers yeah. which uh, I think is particularly acute in amsterdam and in, in amsterdam they're saying you know really. We need to make sure we act before this spreads to the rest of the country, because otherwise a whole generation is going to be... Yeah, they're talking about having only four
0: days a week, and you have parents filling in. Like, this is just not a sustainable, like, thing. Pay teachers more money. Yeah,
1: and especially in a society where, you know, we have budget surpluses at the moment. Yeah. It's not the UK where it's in permanent recession. We're actually doing quite well. We've got the money. Yeah. Why why can't we sort it out? Yeah. (laughs) Sort it out. Slob. Sort it
0: out. Speaking of getting things sorted out, a senior Dutch official in Brussels and the head of Amsterdam's public transportation services have been named as the two new junior finance ministers appointed to solve the mess at the tax office. Hans brief, that's the current... It's a
1: poison pen letter. It's a poison pen, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, I would not want to get emails from someone whose <laughs> really name is Vilebrief. <laughs> he is the current chairman of the influential Euro Work Group in Brussels. He will take over as the head of the tax office itself. Alexandra van Hufla. That's an even
1: better name. I know, yeah. right? The, the, this, that's like, that could be Brexit Muppets name. They
0: yeah. are they are not playing around <laughs> with these names. She has been charged with starting out the mess in the benefits department. She's also going to see customs. She came from the public transportation department. Their predecessor, Menno Snell, stepped down at the end of last year in the wake of the child care benefits scandal in which hundreds of families were wronged accused of fraud Paul and I discussed this very extensively on last week's podcast if you're interested we'll link to that in the liner notes
1: indeed um what else do we know about uh, these two new ministers?
0: Von Hofela is known as a tough manager. She previously worked at Ascent. She was the economics and port alderman in Rotterdam City Council before joining the Hebe Bay, that's the public transport group mm. in Amsterdam. She's also the first woman to be appointed to a ministerial role in the finance ministry. Oh, right. Poison Pen, our friend Poison Pen here. <laughs> Maybe this is gonna be our new dick this lawyer. Yeah, it's <laughs> to really be is, Poison yeah. Pen, yeah. Uh, his appointment came as a surprise given that he'd only recently been appointed to the Eurogroup job for a second term. Former Dutch finance minister Jeroen Dijsselbloem said this is a fantastic opportunity for him to show exactly what he can do. Not just in terms of providing support. So yeah. nice, nice
1: endorsement, nice endorsement from the Dyson Bloom, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: both uh new junior ministers—that's stats secretaris in Dutch—they yeah. uh, will represent the Liberal Democratic Party, the d and as junior ministers, they are part of the government but not part of the cabinet.
1: Yeah. So Dyson Sesteg gains a minister. Gains no a guess. minister, yeah. sort of a half minister. Oh yeah, that's uh, like true. A junior yeah. minister. So yeah, two, 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 junior two half minutes. junior, three yeah. quarter ministers. But they lost yeah. a minister. They because, did. Yeah. So resigns resigned.
0: Of evens out. <laughs> Did you like the sports section last week? I did week enjoy or? the
1: sports section last week. It was great. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. I, know, I, really I, I had fun. It, yeah. it was fun. I know. I could tell you had fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, in this week's sports news, I promised you an update on one of last week's stories. Oh, I'm glad we are going to update And we're going to update on it, yeah. The 16.1 million people who voted to remain in the European Union weren't the only disappointed Brits this week, because Brit Ireland saw her chances of playing in this summer's Olympic table tennis tournament go up in the smoke, as the Dutch team were knocked out by Portugal.
0: Oh, that's a bummer. It we is. Were, we were really excited. You we were rooting really for excited. Brit. I was really, really. For, rooting for her, yeah. Yeah.
1: The Dutch team of Ireland Kim fromas and Lee Schwau took a 2-1 lead against the Portuguese in Portugal, but Ireland and Mass then lost... Singles matches to go out of the Repo tournament in the first round. That's a bummer. Yeah. Is they the, were in the Olympics last time round. Yeah, they as well, were in the Olympics last so. time round. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, is there any uh, sport stickball footy news? I stuff?
1: thought you'd never ask. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stephen Bergfein is off to Tottenham Hotspur.
0: I don't know what any of those words yeah, mean, but
1: okay. He's a winger. Yeah. I don't know what Hotspur means. Actually. Well, I don't know what winger them, means either, so you're not improving <laughs> the situation. Uh, Berkfein is a winger with PSV Eindhoven. He's 22 years old. He's moving for a reported fee of 30 million euros. I know what 30 million Teleport. euros means. Yeah, uh, about, uh, well, about, uh, 000 pounds, yeah, about well, 25,000 pounds. At the current exchange rate. <laughs> exactly. The writers, so I hope Tottenham are paying in euros. I hope he's paying uh, yeah, in euros. For, yeah, for, yeah, you for for should negotiate side. it in the euros. <laughs> the writing was kind of on the wall when he didn't show up for PSV's home match against Twente Enschede at the weekend. That game ended in a one-all draw. PSV slipped down the table and it didn't go down well with the fans who turned up at the stadium and pelted the police with bottles, stones, security fences and match day programs oh well it's, <laughs> I guess they're like recycling I yeah I suppose so yeah, if, you, if you don't have a security fence to hand maybe try trucking your match day program uh. it's almost as good uh, that's according to a police who spoke to Ayn Limburg PSV's drop points is good news for Feyenoord who've risen to third place after winning their fourth straight match under their interim manager
0: dick lawyer uh,
1: that's, exciting see we've even got dick lawyer we
0: got dick lawyer now yeah. break day isn't all bad
1: uh, in the Eredivisie Ajax had their lead cut to three points at the weekend when they lost to Groningen, and that means AZ can join them on points if they beat RKC Wahlwijk, who are the heckeslauter the bottom team, in the Friday night game. Ajax uh, play PSV on Sunday.
0: All these people whinging about the Dutch National Rail Service, NS, are just a few unhappy folks, it turns out. Most people... But they're all on Twitter. They're all on Twitter. Most unhappy people are on Twitter. (laughs) Most people are happy with their experiences. That's according to the annual rail survey. Rail passengers' satisfaction with the service has improved significantly in the last two years, with 89% giving it a score of 7 out of 10 or higher. A year ago, NS's annual survey of travelers found that 86% of respondents returned a satisfaction rating of 7 or higher. That is... Also, a rise of 6% on the previous year. The company attributed the high rates to the introduction of more modern trains and high punctuality. Last year. 92.6% 92.6% of services arrived within 5 minutes of their scheduled
1: time. Well, wow, 92.6%?
0: Yes, the Dutch can in fact make the trains run on time.
1: That's not a thing with good historical precedent, no. is it? No, no.
0: But it is good because the cars don't run on time. Yeah. Another survey out this week found that car drivers in Leida had to put up with the longest delays in Dutch traffic last year. That's according to an analysis by sat-nav maker TomTom.
1: That's because Leiden's tiny. I, yeah. <laughs>
0: on average drivers in Leida spent 30% longer on their journeys because of heavy traffic and and in rush hour a 30 minute journey took an average of 48 minutes that's what tom tom said next on the dutch ranking is the hague where delays and jams boost travel time by 28 percent followed by harlem and nijmegen that's both 27 percent in amsterdam and arnhem journeys take 26 percent more time than they should leida comes in 75th place in the european rankings and 131st in the world for traffic
1: so actually in the in wider terms it's not that bad really
0: I mean I suspect if you're sitting in traffic in Leiden you don't feel you don't feel bad. No way. if
1: you're sitting listening to this in traffic in Leiden you will probably be fuming. Yeah but, exactly uh, which yeah. is fair. Yeah. Yeah and the Hague obviously just has a problem that it's right by the sea so yeah, you, you can't you can't you, really expand yeah. very much without. You
0: know. Well and I think Leiden has the problem of like being in the middle of stuff like, yeah it's, which in be- you- it's in
1: between the hague yeah. and amsterdam yeah traffic's going off in all directions yeah uh, where's the worst place in the world then for traffic
0: do you want to guess well no well i can't guess
1: i'm reading the script yeah I, I would have guessed someone in mexico I guess, no I it's not mexico yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, mumbai is the most congested mm, city in oh, the world yeah, yeah locals there can expect to spend an extra 65 percent of time stuck in traffic yeah.
1: I wonder that's what the average commuting time is in Mumbai.
0: It's indefinite. Have you ever seen that episode of Doctor Who where they're stuck in traffic forever? That's, no, no. That's, that's driving in right. India for
1: you. Uh. We'll be discussing the split in the coalition on drugs policy after this word from our sponsors. If you enjoy our efforts to unravel the week's news and sport, dive into the big talking points of the day, or you're just here for the opf, which, frankly, is all we're here for, that's really. That's pretty much all anybody's here yeah. for, I think. You can now sponsor us on Patreon. New patrons get a name check on the show and you can ask us a question which we may or may not be able to answer accurately. We can't answer any of these questions accurately. No, and uh, I'm not sure people actually care. This week we have a few patrons to thank. Um first up uh, Thomas Kubicki. We did ma- mention Thomas a few weeks ago but he's now got back to us to say I'm originally from Poland, uh, Wutz specifically. I'd love to hear you try to pronounce this beautiful set of weird letters.
0: I'm leaving that one up to you.
1: I, I think it's Wutz <laughs> but I only I'm getting that from football commentaries so it's probably wrong. Oh, uh, that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah. He says I live in Amsterdam for just over a year doesn't have a question but says uh, thank you for doing a great job with the podcast Also, oh. uh, thank you to you yeah thanks Thomas let me say hello to Eric Veenendaal for what well, no Erik Veenendaal I think from that Madison Wisconsin. That, that is a very man, Dutch name that, yeah. that man is Dutch uh, he's planning on moving to the Netherlands in a year or two so actually he's not he's American and has a serious question for us uh, which uh, Molly may, may be able to give us an insight on any recommendations on finding places to rent that allow dogs
0: actually it was pretty easy to find a place that would take dogs I mean right. the Dutch is... yeah
1: so you rented your last yeah, place yeah we I've, yeah. I've
0: lived in four, I think, rented apartments or yeah. something like that. I've never had any issues um, being able to rent. Actually, the last apartment that I lived in that we were renting, officially they said you couldn't have pets. And then I asked um, and said, you know, I have this dog and whatever. And the yeah. landlord was happy to accommodate. Although he did say that should that dog move on in life, that he was not keen on me then picking up another dog. Right though we we didn't didn't
1: didn't want a puppy. Yeah, he didn't want a puppy, basically. Um,
0: And then when we actually adopted Truby, when we were planning to adopt Truby, we said, you know, we would like to get another dog, even though you said we couldn't have another dog, Mm. but we're not getting a puppy. And he was like, well, then it's it's fine. So I think maybe it might be harder if you have a puppy. But yeah, it's, I mean, the the Netherlands is a pretty dog-friendly place. So
1: in general, landlords are pretty easy with dogs.
0: Landlords are pretty easy with dogs. And I think even if the ad says no pets, you should probably ask, particularly if you have like an older, like well-behaved dog.
1: Uh, David Zetland is from uh, San Francisco, but now lives in Amsterdam. Uh, He says he and his girlfriend uh, lived in Amsterdam before, moved away to the world's best city, he said, uh, Vancouver in 2013. But then they came back again because they thought that Amsterdam was better than the world's best city. Mm -hmm. So so bringing endorsement. David also asked us, uh, what are we going to do with all the money? Uh, uh, (laughs) That we're making
0: from the podcast? Yeah. Uh, how much money did we make on the podcast?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, it, it covered our the cost of our it equipment. It covers the cost of equipment. Yeah, um, so, yeah, better equipment. Maybe we still need to actually show people what this booth that we record in looks like.
0: It's very professional. We're it in is. an extremely professional sound recording <laughs> booth. I guess, we, yeah. I mean, pay rent. Like it goes to taxes. Yeah, food, like it's very dog boring. Food. Dog food. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, sorry if we don't have a more exciting answer for yeah, have there have a more there, David, exciting answer. but thank you for sponsoring us.
0: Yeah. Actually, what we'll do, uh, David, is we'll take the money that you've donated to the Patreon and, and buy uh, Gordon some lavender stroke waffles.
1: No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> and Frizo Buca is also a sponsor. It doesn't have a question, but That's thank a you, Dutch Frizo. name, too. I think he, is, he must be Dutch. Yeah. And we've also had a message from one of our longer-standing patrons, William, because uh, we asked a couple of podcasts back um, why people are listening to the show. And his reply is, my mother was born in Amsterdam during the war. She emigrated to America as a child, but I have m- much family there and visit frequently. I love the Netherlands and feel it's a second home and have a lot of cousins there. Yeah. So... Yes, nice, nice to hear from you, William. Very he nice. Says, keep up the good work. Okay. So, Thanks. We'll, Thanks we'll, we'll keep up the work. I don't know if we can possibly qualify as good by know, any yeah, objective I mean, measure. If
0: he's going to insist <laughs> on calling it good, then I guess we have to accept that. Yeah.
1: If you want to join this cast of dozens and top up our supplies of strobe waffles, tea, and dog food, go to patreoncom nl We'll all be very happy, especially Truby. Truby's always happy. He's though. always happy. He's very happy. In the last two weeks, two parties have unveiled radically different visions of the Netherlands' future policy on drugs. That might not be too surprising, except the two parties in question, d Zestuch and the Christian Uni, are in government together. While d Zestuch uh-huh. wants to legalise and regulate drugs um, such as ecstasy and cocaine, the SEU is arguing for a complete U-turn and a focus on making the Netherlands drug-free over the next few generations. So what happens when two coalition partners take up seemingly opposite positions and uh why is it happening now?
0: Who do they genuinely think that they're going to be able to make like a country drug free?
1: They want that to be the aspiration, I think. And we'll get into the reasoning uh. for that in the next couple of minutes. Okay. But, but that's what they want. That's what they, that, that is their stated position.
0: So what does the Dase Sestog want?
1: Right, so the Progressive Liberal Party have always been advocates of the Dutch uh, um which uh, most people know about. It dates back to the 70s. Tourists are familiar with the practice of going into a coffee shop and buying cannabis over the counter, but aren't always aware that drugs are still basically illegal. And that means that coffee shops have to buy their supplies on the black market, which of course fills pockets of narcotics traders yep. uh, Destin Zestra De De S- says this situation is just unsustainable basically um, it doesn 't work, and it also means uh, an increasing problem with um, underworld gangland crime and uh, the murder of a lawyer on his doorstep recently I wrote an article
0: a- two years ago, three years ago for yeah. the outline about the situation, the situation, and I interviewed I think probably five or six like coffee shop owners, and they were all basically it, then were like. This is not a great situation. We do not like the situation. We would very much like it for this situation to change.
1: Yeah, and, it's been, and, and they have, of course, had this experimental experiment yeah. where municipalities, uh, can license uh, a number of um, growers yeah. uh, who can supply the coffee shops yeah. and then take that whole supply chain out of the illegal sector. Yeah, to, to like a legal point. Yeah. Yeah, to, make it, to make it legal. And also Zetter says, look, people are always going to take drugs. They're fairly easy to come by in spite of all the prohibitions. You know, if you go to a music festival, you can get your hands on exercise yeah. pretty, pretty easily. So let's be realistic about it. Ferre Berkamp, the 66 MP, said the assassination of Dirk Viersum in Amsterdam should really act as a wake-up call that the current policy is failing. So they say that uh, not just cannabis, but drugs like cocaine, ecstasy and GHB should be decriminalised and legalised, which as well as taking the profits out of the hands of criminals also removes the stigma and lowers the health risks because you can have quality control of the drugs people are taking yep. and m- make it easier for people who have serious drug addiction problems to get access to treatment. Uh, this manifesto the party published, um, setting all this out, was also backed by the addiction center, yelinik Okay. So oh. that's their position. Legalize and regulate. Yeah. Uh,
0: and what's the Christian uni got to say about that?
1: Well, Christian uni... Jesus they, doesn't like it. They said Jesus doesn't like it. No. And also they, they, they say the war on drugs and um, the problem with it is that it's not really happening has
0: the another one? More... Like, <laughs> can you just like learn from the US's mistakes, please? I'm begging of you. <laughs> like, the US has made so many mistakes about this and you can just look there and be like... This is a lot of mistakes. We shouldn't do that.
1: So, the CU say, say the existing prohibitions should be better enforced and oh, okay. more resources should be diverted towards investigating drug crime. That's mm-hmm. their solution. And they also want to see more preventive measures. CU MP Stineke van der Graaf. Has uh, complained that the drug. The Netherlands has become the drugs barn of Europe, which I guess is true when you look at how much this uh, stuff is being produced in Brabant. Yeah, that's true. Um, Although a huge, we, you know, we have had this
0: discussion before, <laughs> how like you know, lots of drugs come into the Netherlands, but that has much less to do with the Netherlands being the Netherlands and much more to do with the fact that there is this like just huge port here. No Dutch policy is going to fix this. Basically, no, a
1: lot of drugs flows in, but also a lot of drugs flows Flow out, out. And yeah. I guess th- there is probably an argument for saying that because it's been a place where. Criminals have a legal supply route, which is the coffee shops. That allows them to establish themselves and then start producing other types of drugs for export. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy this argument, but okay. uh, The SEU says that the tide can be turned, and it's used the example of the smoke-free generation, saying if we can aspire to... Have everyone stop smoking? Why can't we aspire to have everyone stop taking drugs?
0: The Seu is aware that like something like twenty five, twenty seven percent of Dutch adults smoke, right? So uh, how's their stop smoking generation thing working out for them exactly?
1: Their argument is uh, if you go down the road of a zero tolerance policy, mm. and you start to aspire to um, to eradicate drug taking and smoking, then eventually it will reduce it drastically. Cause I think mm. I mean smoking used to be I think more than half. Of yeah, that that's, that's true. To smoking has declined. So it has. Increased. Smoking has declined as yeah. a, and is partly to do with public health campaigns and public yeah. awareness campaigns. So perhaps they have a point, up to a point. So
0: how, how common is actually drug use in the Netherlands?
1: Well, according to Trimbos Institute, which specializes in addiction, about 25% of adult Dutch people have tried cannabis, uh, around 8% have taken an ecstasy pill at some time in their lives, and 1.6% have taken cocaine. Around 30,000 people are treated for drug addiction, um, which is about the same as the number for alcohol addiction. That is,
0: like, so low, it seems. Yeah. I can't believe that we're going to... Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so what did the parties have to say about each other I'm sure they were very nice
1: uh, yes very well, thoughtful yeah the, the CEO were pretty scathing about d yep. yeah, uh, Graf <laughs> said it was incomprehensible and cr- she says criminals should not be rewarded they should be punished there was also criticism from another coalition party the CDR Christian Democrats okay. so the two Christian parties lining up here shocker yeah their justice spokeswoman Madeleine von Thurenburg called it a naive approach she said she favoured more repressive measures uh, the FDP Day has been more on the fence about it there's a lot of divergence within the day on what to do about drugs. Yeah. So some Feyfide are very strong law and order types. Yeah. Again, actually um, somebody else who uh, backs the kind of, broadly backs the Christian stand is uh, the head of the police force, Eric Ackerbom. Yeah. Um so yes yeah, so, some favors will always support what the police say. Yeah. Other favouriteers are you know, because they're a liberal party, yeah. uh, are more have actually signed up to this uh Dezester yeah. manifesto. The parliamentary leader Klaas Daikoff said this was the kind of discussion that belonged to election campaigns, but some party members had One haven't. One time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> You got one time there. But there is kind of a liberal Christian conservative split in the coalition with the two bigger parties of HFT and CDR kinda of taking a back seat.
0: So uh so Gordon, does that mean something has started?
1: Has something has started. Could it be because we are just over a year away from an uh election
0: that's two you only get one more in this discussion the agreement was we could talk about something election related but you can only use the word election three times
1: okay this is gonna be tough
0: yeah so you only got one more
1: well what we've seen is uh, i think what struck me is that the the language is more confrontational than we've seen within between the coalition parties than we've heard up till now it looks very much as if these parties are now starting to sort of draft their manifestos, send up kind of trial balloons, you know, to, to, just to see how the public responds to their proposals. It's not just uh, these two, and Zemesester and Christian Uni, but it does come down to them quite a bit. Yesterday, which was Thursday, uh, we had a publication a report into um, the idea of um, extending euthanasia into uh, giving healthy people in later life who just don't want to live anymore yeah. the right to some kind of provision to end their lives. And, of course, the Christian Uni are dead against that yeah. uh, because they're uh, Christian... Party. Of course, this is to uh, Well, pretty much proposed the idea at the last election. Yeah. So it's um, three. You heard it, didn't You're you? Done. Thinking, no, we are, we're You're talking done. We're Last one. No about the last one. No. No, it's, no, it's, no. You use the word election. <laughs> That's three. You get no more. Okay. Yeah, and the Faeve Day we mentioned—they um, have published a manifesto on psychiatric care. They want to see better psychiatric care, yeah. uh, which, uh, given that well, well, psychiatric care has kind of been run down over ten yeah. years of Faeve day cabinets—is interesting. But yes, we are definitely seeing parties now—the four parties in the coalition. It was always a bit of a squeeze to get these four parties together uh, in and on the same side, and now starting to go their separate ways. Yeah. And this is probably something that we'll see. I imagine over the next fourteen months. And particularly the, the it was always these two, I think, Desester and Christian Uni who were going to uh, have the hardest time keeping quiet because they pretty much had a kind of non aggression pact. Yeah. Um when the coalition agreement was right. drawn up where Desenzesto said we won't put any won't propose anything on euthanasia because you're against that and the Seyu said, We won't propose anything on abortion because you don't agree with us on that. Right. And uh, that's the way it goes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's uh, I guess it's time to prepare ourselves emotionally for yes, 2021 for 2021 march 2021 yeah. first that we have to get through uh november 2020 which is the uh u.s election
1: yes you, you said it now oh that's true
0: i tell it. <laughs> I, I can say it as many times as i want <laughs> um is the government going to fall
1: no nah. no No, okay. basically very unlikely for the reason that parties that pull out of the coalition are the ones that tend to get punished um, the worst and in, in
0: in, in what do they get punished the worst they get in, punished Gord? next
1: time that um, people uh, choose their MPs okay. for the following uh, cabinets next time of office okay uh <laughs> <laughs> None of the parties as well have very high poll ratings at the moment. No, um, nobody's, doing so okay. nobody's doing well. Except for the say, they've got a very robust six or seven seats. Which it is, never goes up. It never goes down because yeah. they're basically not a party whose main priority is being in government anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah, they just want to. They just want to re- bear witness. I think is the phrase that's used to Seems to, to, like to something to you'd point hear in the Bible. Christian, <laughs> yeah, uh, to, to Christian Union voters.
0: We're just going to keep hearing about this for the yeah, next. it's going to keep going. Eleven yeah. months, twelve yeah. months. Right. Is,
1: the latest polls are kind of really fascinating because there's three or four parties. On sort of nineteen twenty seats, yeah. it's a complete deadlock. Yeah. So what's going to happen uh-huh. um, when people vote in yeah. fourteen months? In fourteen time? months' time, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. I
0: mean, I, yeah, anything can happen in fourteen yeah. months' time. Yeah. At this point, we don't know. Is Ruta going to stand for another That's term? Another like, yeah. if not, then who is it going to be? Yeah. yeah. I think there's there's. Polling data is is interesting, but it's not, I don't think, particularly relevant. Uh, yeah, but I think because, be. because it's
1: so unpredictable, I think that's making uh, possibly some of the parties, particularly the small parties, a bit more frantic. Yeah, um, a bit yeah, more edgy about, yeah, maybe why they're getting in so early. Yeah, uh, because they see that they think that they might be able to gain a bit of traction now, and that can make all the difference. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you shift two or three seats, you can you can make you can make a, a huge big difference. difference. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: So, are you uh, are you convinced by the Seiyu's argument about? Lamar? Oh yeah,
1: coming back to the the, the drugs. Yeah, no. The, the thing is. If you try, well we know prohibition doesn't work I mean, there's lots of historical precedent yeah you know, we, we tried that, L- that. You, tried that you tried there's it. there's this whole thing you tried we prohib- tried it the thing is once you allow something and then you try and reel back and prohibit no, it it just doesn't work it does not work it doesn't go I guess the one thing I sort of do see the logic in is where they say why isn't there more kind of prevention for people at the, you know, at the start of their life as we do with smoking yeah that, you know, that we're now trying to deter smoking and drink driving as well you know, people yeah. don't generally don't drink and drive yeah. anymore there is kind of a social public health argument for yeah. saying and try and deter people, stop them getting onto drug taking place, but you'll never actually I have stamp a, it out.
0: I think yeah. I have questions about yeah. um, I, I mean, I think the framing around addiction is also is is often sort of framed as like people who are physically addicted to a substance and need and it's really difficult for them to physically get off of it and that rehab is like this whole thing and whatever and mm. that it's like very devastating. And I I understand that that is true and that is a thing that happens. I also think that there's a lot of like research and evidence into the fact that people who are generally unhappy are looking for ways to make themselves feel better yep. and that's often the people who are turning to to drugs and so i would like to see kind of somewhat of a reframing of this as opposed to it being like don't do cocaine because cocaine is bad for you as opposed to a focus on sort of like mental health and self-confidence and all these kinds of things which kind of keep people from ending up feeling the need that they're sort of like filling some kind of void inside them or something along those lines and more of a discussion of like Moderation and like not that you have to go cold turkey and this whole like alcoholics anonymous approach and all of this kinds of stuff because there's a lot of evidence now that those kind of approaches don't work. And I think that we need to rethink about like that kind of thing. I guess I just... Have a hard time thinking that, like, you know, eight percent of people have tried ecstasy at least once in yeah. their life does not strike it's just me. It's a as, huge social problem it's, that we really it's need to exactly have. It's
1: huge, it's such an expensive and time consuming thing, right? When you try and step up these repressive yeah. measures and get the police involved, yeah, and criminalize, yeah, I think criminalizing. Drug-taking addiction is a very counterproductive measure in all right. sorts of ways. I mean, first, it fills up your prisons. Yeah. yeah you know, it, and often prisons, of course, are a place where it's really easy to get drugs yeah. as well. So it doesn't Funny how that, works. that problem either. Yeah, they just fly them in so, with
0: drones, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, you spend a lot of time wasting a lot of time and resources trying to prevent and catch people who are using drugs, then trying to punish them, try putting, putting them in jail. There's a lot of, like, resources that go to that kind of stuff yeah. that I just don't see as being particularly useful. I don't know if the answer is total legalization or something like that, but I think I definitely tend to side with the de Assessstag as opposed to the the Christian Union's like sort of approach to this. And the thing that is like the worst bit of evidence for the Sayu is is that only 25% of Dutch adults have used marijuana, yes. which like is legally available. Yes. You can just you go just get I get could walk out of my door it, yes. and have marijuana in my hand without any concern of being arrested in yeah. 15 minutes and that many people just don't choose to use it because it's like not that attractive yeah. I think that that means that like you know most people I don't think want to do drugs on a regular basis <laughs> I think there's some people who do and that some people who end up addicted and that is like a health problem yeah. not like a law and order problem and
1: I'm remembering as well when they introduced the VITPAS about yeah. so seven or eight years, 6 or 7 years ago and which was ludicrous un- measure and, yeah, yeah, had to, un- uh, and had to completely rail it back but even that was it wasn't even making cannabis illegal but just very strong restrictions yeah. on it and even that led to an increase. Increase in illegal cannabis yeah. sales. You know, where a drug that was actually legal because you restricted access to yeah. it, or you said people had to register yeah. in order to go and use a local coffee shop, and people didn't want to do that. Yeah. That you, you saw the street dealers starting to reappear, which yeah. is the last thing you want. And I think that problem, the real danger of the sale policy, is that will happen again. Yeah. Legalisation of drugs in the Netherlands, although it's well publicised, is actually still quite limited. Yeah. If you reel that back more, you're just going to see an increase in because, as I say, you've established now uh, a drug supply chain. Yeah. People expect to be able to get it and use it if they can't get it by legal means they'll get it by illegal means yeah. and that'll just exacerbate the problems that uh, that we've seen on the streets of amsterdam with people gunning each other down in, uh, in broad daylight yeah
0: and what i find sort of interesting about the amsterdam point is is that you know we could love to complain endlessly about how many tourists there are in amsterdam and all these problems but i hardly ever have complaints hear complaints from my friends who live there experience negative things myself or hear other mm. people complaining about stoned tourist. you do hear a lot of complaints about drunk i was gonna
1: say the problems that you get from uh, outside a bar at closing time yeah. I, I imagine a lot worse than the problems outside a coffee shop because yeah. usually people who've who, who've got really heavy there are, in no, pe- st- are in no state yeah. to fight really.
0: my first apartment <laughs> that i rented with my dog for our listener that uh, in the netherlands was above a coffee shop and at first i was like slightly nervous about this and then you sort of realize that like it's so much better than living above a bar yeah. nobody is loud like nobody is standing around outside
1: they probably it, giggle a lot. They
0: giggle a lot. Um <laughs> you can always find Doritos, but that's like fine. Everyone is like very like mostly like pretty chill and polite because they're all stoned out of their freaking <laughs> minds. Like I it just yeah, I I don't understand why people are upset by this. It seems totally fine.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think it's interesting that also the parties tend to focus on these issues, these kind of cultural issues. Yeah. Um there's often, often a lot of tension paid them. this uh, drugs, euthanasia, Abortion, abortion I think is probably going to be an issue again the next time that uh, people are asked to vote yeah so um... are asked to vote. I see what you did there all right <laughs> you've made a... it with only
0: one one extra yeah. election so we're
1: going to see a lot of this kind of discussion I think um, yeah, whether it makes any real substantial difference to policies uh, I'm not quite sure no That's... but it does it make... generates a lot of talk it does and it yeah. gives us something to talk about and it does, people as people who host a weekly podcasters. news podcast
0: <laughs> maybe we should just be happy that yeah. the seiyu is making yeah. up ridiculous drug policies
1: yeah so thanks. Keep it up, Steenica. Yeah, thank you. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can now, as we said, also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsNL and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. You can also ask us a question. And ask us any random question. My thanks to Molly Quell and not to Palpators. I'm Gordon Darach. We'll be back next week in the glorious sunlit... Upland oh Brexit yeah, of, actually that's true. This oh, is the last, last—that's
0: last podcast with you being a European citizen. European citizen,
1: citizen yes. Yeah. All right. They're going to go to the beach, I think, today and just shout rude words across the sea. I
0: think that's completely inappropriate <laughs> <an> response. <laughs>